Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lisa Cohn, who is the author of To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence, as well as The Power of Thoughtful Leadership. She is a writer, teacher, and public speaker who owns a leadership consulting and executive coaching firm, Chatworth Consulting. We have so much to talk about, Lisa. Let's get right into this. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, Summer. Oh, thank you for being here. So let's talk about your book, To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence, since this will give the listeners a good idea of your foundational beginnings. So it is a memoir. It is about me. Sometimes people ask. The way I describe my childhood is this. The best seats I ever had at Madison Square Garden were at my mother's wedding because my mother was married on July 1st, 1982 with 2,075 other couples in Madison Square Garden, a mass marriage led by Reverend Sun Young Moon. I was a Mooney member of the Unification Church. I was raised in a cult. And on the other hand, the best cocaine I ever had was from my father's friend, the judge. And yes, actually, seriously, really a judge because I lived with my dad and his life was a life of, I describe it as sex, drugs, and squalor in New York City's East Village in the 1970s. So the memoir is the story of Childhood, growing up, joining the cult, what it's like to be in an extreme situation like that, leaving, how hard it is to leave, and a bit of the healing that came afterwards. Right. So as you reflect on your personal journey, can you describe how you saw the world at different stages of your life and how you were able to define your own values and beliefs with all the various influences, such as your parents, the unification movement, also known as the Moonies, and all the outside factors? I know that's a loaded question, but can you touch on some of those things? Yeah, and so I will start backwards and answer as much as I'm doing before, but I will say that when you're raised in an extreme situation like that, one of the things they teach you is to not have your own values and beliefs. Literally, we were taught that if we ever questioned or ever thought on our own, it was Satan trying to win us back from God. And so I've been out for decades. And just yesterday, I had to look again at how I still have a hard time having my own values and thoughts and beliefs because it is so deeply carved. So I'll, I'll start there at the end and I'll go backwards. And what I, what I can tell you, so my, my parents, my parents were hippies. It was the 60s. They got married. They got pregnant and married way too young and had me way too young. They had me, my older brother, when they were 19, me when they were 20. Um, it was craziness at everything the hippies you can imagine. And my, and my parents split when I was three and we lived with my mom and it was encounter groups and primal screening and just a lot of less than stability. Um, and my mom, and I can tell the story if you want, but well, my mom, she finally joined the church in 1974. Um, and I was 10, almost 11 at the time. And you have to understand that the church was a haven from our childhood beforehand, right? In many ways, as awful as a cult can be, in many ways it saved us from a different existence. And so I went from a lot of terror and a lot of fear and a lot of instability um, when my parents split and the life we left with my mom and she had boyfriends who beat her, like it was, it, it was instability into an, 
an organization, a cult, a group where I was taught what to believe and what to value, which is awful, but it's also the most intoxicating, saving feeling. I try to explain to people that as human animals, we create certainty, purpose, and community. And in an extreme situation, our cult gives you absolute certainty, purpose beyond anything else in a community you will never have anywhere else. So all my values and all my beliefs are what I was taught they were, right? When everyone bows to him and takes his shoes off, when he's in the room and treats him as the Messiah, he is the Messiah, he was my Messiah, and whatever he says is true. And then, long story short, um, and I can tell that story as well, when I finally started to pull away from the church, when I was about, <laughs> about 17 to 21 or two, my brother says I didn't leave, I just slowly disappeared. Um, I still knew him as the Messiah, but I couldn't do it for various reasons. And so I was, again, shut off from any values or beliefs because if I thought about anything, I knew I deserved to die for abandoning God. And I was just kind of adrift, not knowing, not believing, not knowing what I thought or how to think, um, trying to build something for myself. And in the midst of all of this, I'm an over-functional, highly functional person. So I look fine on the outside and I'm I'm at Cornell University in college and I'm doing great on, you know, even after class, I got great jobs, but inside, so broken and so lost and so unable to think and believe and know for myself. And so, uh, you know, that was the early mid 80s, early, early 80s when I left. And so it's been a building of beliefs and values and what do I, what do I think of the world and how will I live my life since then? So broad question, really broad answer. Tell me where you'd like me to go more with it. Oh, well, you did a great job because it was a loaded question. And so <laughs> you, you really touched on some really interesting things because I'm going to go back to what you said about human beings wanting to have a purpose, wanting a community and certainty, right? So to mm -hmm. me, having worked in the human services field for years, and having worked with kids from gangs, <laughs> they also got that. Absolutely. They also got that certainty, Absolutely. that purpose, that community. Absolutely. And here you are, you know, as a youngster, your parents have split. There is uncertainty there. You don't know if you're going to be abandoned, mm -hmm. you know? So part of your book, one of the things that really got me at, um, in the beginning of your book is when you're sitting outside of your mother, you know, the bathroom because your mom's getting ready in the bathroom and you're just sitting there and she's like, why are you sitting there essentially? And you're basically in the book saying, because I don't want to be away too far away from her. Yeah. You don't, you fear losing her. Yeah. And you're so young at that point. And so you're, you're really trying to grasp onto something, something that's tangible, that's something that's concrete, something that's going to stay, you know, and be there for you because you've seen all of this chaos already. And so here you are, your mom's trying to find out who she is and dabbling in this religion or that religion and then gets hooked into the Moonies. And of course you want to align with her because you're a youngster and you don't want to lose her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you get drawn into this. And of course, this is going to be the foundation for your belief system. Now, saying all of that, you know, I went to Berkeley and there were Moonies around the campus quite of often. Course. 
Of course there were. <laughs> Absolutely. Why, where else would we be? Yes. Right. Right. And so it was interesting because one of the young, young women who um, I knew of, she got pulled into the organization and her parents had to actually come out and have somebody help de what back then what we call deprogram. Yep. And so with telling you this, my question to you is how did you find help in regards to your own deprogramming, so to speak? Um, that's a good question. Um, so I would say, I want to step back for one second because sure. yes, yes, my parents, but my dad left and my hugest fear was that my mom would leave. And so I lived my life to never let her out of my sight, as that, you know, whatever, at that terror. And, um, and now my brother tells me he always used to tease me that she would leave, but that's a whole different sibling kind of thing. But as you go further into the book, what happens, if you forgot to the part, is um, my mom finds a church we become members of the church. And at that point, we're living with my grandfather. We, my grandmother has passed. My, we're living with my, grand, my mom's dad. And she's taking care of the house for him. And she um, sits us down one day and says, I feel really called. What should I do? And we say, leave, go, move into the church and leave us. Um, and so she does. And, um, and then in the church, right, you talk about the belief system, right? In the church, I was always... Thank. There's a concept of indemnity where you suffer to pay for the sins of your ancestors and so that your children don't have to suffer, right? Um, and so everyone would say, thank you, thank you for living without your mother. You're so amazing to live without your mother. And so I never lived with my mom again. And if I missed her, I was sinful. Like, and if I was sad or angry, I was bad. So, right, my brain is like caught in this box of don't have wants, don't have needs, don't have beliefs, don't have thoughts, just follow what Father, Reverend Sang Manu, my true father says. So how did I heal from that? Yeah. yeah. So when I, when I first left, I just shut down, right? I just, I, when I started to leave, my, my college years went like this. Freshman year, I almost jumped off the bridge at Cornell. Sophomore year, I became extremely anorexic. Junior year, I did a hell of a lot of cocaine. And senior year, I just started getting in more and more horrendously dysfunctional abusive relationships. Um, left college, still functioning really well on the outside, left college and uh, got engaged to someone who drank a hell of a lot and was mean when he did. And someone eventually pointed me to Al-Anon, you know, of AA. AA is for the people who have their arms around the bottle, right? Al-Anon mm -hmm. is for those of us who have the arms around the alcoholic. And I crawl into the Al-Anon meeting saying, thinking, tell me if he's an alcoholic. There's no way I would ever be with an alcoholic. I'm way too smart for that. Mm -hmm. Only to find out there are a myriad of reasons why. And I also crawled into those rooms thinking, oh, these poor people with such low self-esteem, not knowing the depth of my self-loathing and self-revulsion and shame that I literally touched on yesterday, decades later, still shame for leaving the Messiah and abandoning my responsibility. So healing was a process of, you know, as my brother says, when you sit in these rooms with like hundreds of people and they all have these really tough lives and you tell your story and their jaws all drop, you go, oh. Maybe it was hard. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I know it's weird, but maybe it was hard. Um, yeah. It was a process of first seeing that a lot happened to me that I was broken, right? That I really was broken. I, when I, was, I was on the Making Kelly show when the book first came out, and the producer said to me, were you brainwashed? Right? I wasn't brainwashed. I was pickled in it. So it wasn't even deprogramming. It was 
allowing myself to first begin to find something, right? I didn't have, I mean, I was only 10 when we joined. I didn't really have a, a self to go back to. So right. it really was a process of, oh, wow, this wasn't good. Oh, wow, I'm really scarred from it. Oh, wow, my, yeah, my dad is an alcoholic. It's all over my family, right? Oh, wow, even just two years ago, you know, I left the, my cult in the 80s and only recently found a, the community of cult survivors and was sitting in a room when a person put up on, you know, up there giving a speech of the, of the way it affects your brain when you're a second gen, a second generation, when you're born and raised in it. And I'm looking at this list going, oh my God, that's my brain. It was like a picture of my brain. It was carved in really specific ways that are still there. Self-compassion still there, right? And so it wasn't even deprogramming. It was first allowing myself the thought that I could think for myself, that I could have wants, that I could have needs. I have this great ability to read someone's needs and wants before they know they have them and to meet them before they've ever realized they have them, right? Right. <laughs> I, I'm really nice to be around for a lot of people. Right. <laughs> so it, it's like been a huge, uh, terrifying, empowering, beautiful, amazing process of going, oh, I get to want, I get to need, I get to do what I want. I get to be me. I get to believe what I believe. I get to question. Like, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it really was a building of a person. You know, there was some truth to me beforehand when I wrote the book, I decided that I like to look for the good and the good I got out of the church um, was that I was so loving because when I was young and I knew I could do nothing real for God, I decided I would just love everybody so much. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I decided that. And then I reconnected. I was best friends with Reverend's daughter and then two other uh, children born and raised in the church that I was good friends with. I reconnected with all of them having written the book. And I all said, oh no, you were that way when we met you. <laughs> so like it was finding the old me, owning the old me, but building a me and knowing that I could have a me, that I didn't have to do what you thought I needed to do. I could do me. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does. And thank you for asking me. It absolutely does. And I like the distinction between finding yourself and not deprogramming because you were so young that we develop our foundational beliefs, values and beliefs over time. Mm -hmm. And that those values and beliefs are grown because of the impact that what we're influenced by in relation to family church, uh, friends, educators, all of that. And so one, you obviously, when you tap back into some of those people after you wrote the book, they said, you know, you were always like that. So there was just something innate about you that you always had these various qualities that people already saw, you know, early on. And we all have that. It's recognizing that and getting back to that you had to make what I like to call a U-turn or glance back and you glance back to see who you really were. And from that, be able to pull back into that or tap back into that and rediscover yourself. Yeah. And then from there, it was this beautiful journey of, okay, then who am I and what are my values and beliefs? Because now you don't have these people or folks or entities imposing those values or beliefs onto you. So now you've got this newfound freedom. So that's really interesting. So thank you for explaining that because yes, when you started to explain that, it wasn't necessarily deprogramming, but you had it within yourself to start already at college to start separating yeah. from a lot of those imposed ideas, thoughts, values, 
And so, yes, of course, of course you are struggling. Of course you're, as a high achiever, you want the world to see somebody's functioning well, right? Of course. So Lisa, here you are, you're earning your BA in psychology from Cornell University. You know, <laughs> I, have, I, tell I, ha- I have to tell you, I have a very good friend back home who is a public author who took me under her wing and really, really helped me through this whole process. And at one point she turns to me and she goes, so let's get this right. Your parents divorced. You know, they both abandoned you. You were raised in a cult. You were an abusive alcoholic relationship. You were addicted to cocaine. You were anorexic. You like were suicidal. And you were a psychology major. And I'm like, yeah, I never really got the irony of the whole thing. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. And I bring this up because I'm going to piggyback on this. You know, people always ask me, why did you go towards psychology? Why are you a doctor of psychology? And I always say to them, there's reasons why we gravitate towards certain things in our lives. And to a certain degree, you may have gravitated towards psychology because it was something that was going to help you understand a lot of what you went through. So maybe, 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 you know, because there, there's a lot to juggle there. There's a lot to uncover there. It's like that onion where it's layer upon layer, year upon year. And that's a lot of influence where you have to uncover. And you're basically trying to do this alone as a young woman. And you do have some support systems, but you're having to do the separation. And this doesn't mean just separation from the Church of Unification, but this could potentially mean separation from your parents, from your family, from the, the friends, from all this. So how did you, as a young person, you know, going for your bachelor's in psychology at Cornell, where did you find your source of support? Who was there to help you? Funny, I talked to that person today because it is my birthday and they just called me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, by the time I got to Cornell, so I also want to point out that involved in this whole thing of building myself, uh, again, long story short, right? I was best friends with Reverend children, one of his daughters. I was in the upper echelon. And when I was, a number of things happened in my teenage years, but one thing happened was where one of my good friends was seduced by our Sunday school teacher having an affair, spread rumors about me and Reverend Moon heard them, believed them and made a decree that I, that children who weren't born into the church, meaning me could no longer play with his children, the true children. Um, And so I like to point out that the Messiah banished me, my Messiah banished me. Right. So I already knew I was evil and the Messiah kind of agreed and a lot of stuff happened. And that's kind of what pushed me towards leaving the church. And by the time I got to Cornell, again, when I first got there, I still knew him to be the Messiah. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I spent many, 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 many nights with a dear friend going, but what if it's right? 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 Until somehow he finally turned to me and said, what if it is right, but it's not right for you? And to this day, I don't know why that stuck, but it did. It gave me like a crack. And what helped me, I, like, luckily, I was at, my, whereas my brother was at a small college where there were Moonies all around who knew him, I was at Cornell, which is large, and the Moonies who were there, I did not know, um, so I could kind of hide, and I just kind of pulled away and hid and turned to friends, turned to friends, and, um, and, don't, and punished myself in many, many ways, but it's truly, I mean, until I got 
Well, I was saying, I, yeah, I probably just, I turned to friends and turned to people, you know, my, my friends from high school who knew me before and knew me through are like the dearest, dearest, and my first friends in college, dearest, dearest people with me, because if you meet me now, you don't know what I was, right? Mm-hmm. And even some of my friends from my last part of college were like, don't even realize that part of me. Um, that whole journey, I, cl- I clung to people because I, because I am a lover. I love to love. I live to love. I always did. I probably always will. I love a lot of people. <laughs> I clung to, right. Uh, you know, and, and I'll even like, I'll say to clients, I have a, a crush on you in all the appropriate ways. I love you dearly in all the appropriate ways. Like I believe we are here to love. And as a coach, I just love my clients in all the appropriate ways. Um, I, I think that heart and that love allowed me to pull out. But I don't know. You know, to this day, I was literally just talking yesterday about standing on the bridge. Why didn't I jump? Why? Because it would have been easier. It would have been easier and better, one, to jump than to decide to leave. And there's still, I'm working on it, still a part of me that thinks I deserve to die for leaving. I know it's not true, but it's carved. Um, People say, how did I survive? And I've got no idea. I'm like the grace of God. I have a steel rod for a spine. I have a lot of guardian angels. I'm lucky. I'm very, very, very stubborn. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then, and then a love, the love of friends, the love of friends. Because when I did leave the church, I lost everything. Everything that mattered to me, I lost, basically. Yeah. I mean, my dad I had, but he was Satan, right? So it was like, I lost my mom. I lost my friends. I lost my beliefs. I lost my life when I walked away. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And you were so young and yet so courageous to be able to walk away and find who you are, who you want to be and live the journey in, on your terms. Yet that took a lot of, a lot of growth, a lot of delving, a lot of perseverance because you had layers upon layers to uncover. <laughs> a lot of so, therapy, a lot, a of, lot support of therapy, groups, a lot of trauma therapy, a lot of EMDR therapy, a lot of yeah. meditation, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of yoga, a lot of crying, a lot of, yeah. Wow. It's a journey. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that is an amazing story. And here you are. So as I go, you know, I'm going to go back to that. There's something within you. There's something innate, something within you that is why you're here today. There's something very strong in you that not only do you love other people, and you do love yourself. So bravo to you. Bravo. So let's jump a little forward. um, And let's talk about, you know, going towards your personal goals at this point, like your MBA from Columbia, your business. Can you go more into detail about your interest in business and how you paired that with psychology? Yeah. So I, um, I ended out of college. And I ended up um, working in advertising and entertainment advertising. It's really fun. It's really wonderful. ABC TV was our client way back when, when there were three networks. And um, I, I was, you know, bored. I had a job. It was a good job, but I was bored. I didn't have enough to do. And I somehow convinced my boss to send me for an executive MBA at Columbia. And I went to the MBA. I went to school and I discovered the disciplines around people, organizational behavior, organizational leadership, right? organizational dynamics, all of that. And I was like, wow, that's the psychology part. Wow, this is really cool. And I also learned that I was smart and that I had good ideas and my perspective mattered. Like I learned a lot in that process in business school. And so I uh, finished my degree, quit my job and uh, 
did a little work in not-for-profit and then hung out a single in 1995 to do leadership. And I became a leadership consultant and executive coach. And I have been uh, doing that ever since. It truly is the essence of me. You know, I, on one hand, yeah. I say, when I'm not working, I never want to work. And when I am working, I never want to stop. So I'm either certifiable or I figured it out. And, and when, I, when the book came out, I had a client. Most of my clients did not know my story because my story literally can suck it air out of a room so I haven't wasn't sharing it in my work now I obviously do because it's out there but a client uh, put on LinkedIn we always knew you were amazing what you did and now we know why because I jokingly say as a coach I'm still trying to save people it's not true but um but all the tools all the resources all the learning all the self-love all of that that I had to find to heal I get to give to people in my business sometimes I use the word love and sometimes I use more technical business type terms, right? And I'll, I will talk about love and fear and my clients laugh. I'm like, yep, there's love and there's fear and it's true, right? Um, but the work I do working with organizations, we do a lot of work with not-for-profits uh, as well, Fortune 50 companies truly help. I mean, I just think I'm helping other people find themselves, take care of themselves, love themselves, treat other people nicer. Oh, and you know what? Then the business does better. I mean, I can do all the strategic plan. I can do all the business stuff right. too, right. but it really right. is about the essence of people bringing my best. We call it thoughtful leadership in my business. It's being present, being intentional and being authentic. Who am I? Am I really here with you? And what do we need to get out of this? And how am I really going to look into your eyes and heart and connect with you and build a better future together? So I'm lucky to do what I do. Well, you have come so far in your own personal development as well as your professional journey. And we're getting towards the end of the interview here. What would you say to folks who, especially somebody young and found themselves in a similar situation, how would you direct them? So one of the, the gifts of this is I have had numerous strangers reach out to me from my cult, from other extreme situations, from people with no cult background, but similar, similar. I always say my story is unique. The themes are universal. So I would say find help, find support. Um, if you are in an extremist situation or you think you are, there are, there are therapists, there are support groups, there's the ICSA, the International Cult Studies Association. There are people out there where there weren't when I left. There are people out there who are going to give you a hand reach out to me, give you a hand, give you a way out. Um, there is a way, there is a way out. There is a way to build a life. There is a way to be okay. I once had, um, someone reached out to me once as a young adult and she had this truly traumatic story kind of, and I was just offering support and love. And I said, this is one thing I know for those of us who have suffered some sort of trauma or complex trauma. I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it gives I do believe, I've seen, I feel, I am, right? It gives me more of appreciation of life than people who haven't suffered at all. So whereas, whereas I don't want you to be in the situation you are, I do know you can get out. I do know you can be okay. And I do know when you are, sun on the trees is going to fill your heart in a way that other people who haven't hit those bottoms may never see. So yeah. not great you have it, but it, it can make you even happier for what, as weird as that sounds. Well, I like that guidance. And I also like that you mentioned complex trauma. So there's a difference between trauma and initial trauma. And then there's complex trauma. Again, going back to that whole visual of 
the onion and layers and layers. So that means that you've been exposed to trauma, not once, but multiple times and different types of trauma. And that becomes the complex trauma. So, so folks, if you're out there, make sure that if you're going through something, there's never a better time than to than that time to ask for help. Remember, you can always, always ask for help. There's always somebody to reach out to. Now, as we come to the end of the interview, I have one last question. If you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be, Lisa? So I have three main messages and I'm going to put over them. I have come to realize that mine is not even onion. Have you ever gone to do knitting and you forget to make your yarn into a ball and you just end up with this mass of like, twisted yarn that takes three hours yeah that's my that's my trauma (laughs) right and so that said that said um and i know there's people whose trauma is way harsher and worse than mine three messages one is extremist situations exist they're prevalent they're extremely intoxicating it is a wonderful feeling even if it's not true to believe you have the truth and they're really dangerous they are there two for anyone who feels hopeless or damaged beyond repair, there is hope and you are not damaged. I realized with the publishing of the book, I still thought I was damaged. I'm not damaged. I have damage. I have scars. I am not a damaged person. It's a very different perspective. And the third, you know, from my own experience, from my work as a coach, I do know that as a species, we're generally way too hard on ourselves, too perfectionistic, self-critical, self-judging, self-fantastic. And we just need a huge dose of self-love and self-compassion. And if you can't see me, I have my hands on my heart because I walk around with my hand on my heart almost all day long, like loving myself. It's very soothing. You put your hands on your heart and say, Tara Brock, it's okay, sweetheart. It's okay, sweetheart. Right? I just, that's all I teach my clients. Love yourself more. Oh, and then be nice to the people around you. So those are my messages. Extreme situations exist. There is hope. You are not damaged. And love yourself. Love yourself first, foremost, and more. Those are my messages. Well, I think those are wonderful words of wisdom. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me on the Poor Women podcast today and happy birthday. Ah, Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And thank you for wishing me happy birthday. Absolutely. If you'd like to connect with Lisa Cohn, go to at chatsworthconsulting.com or follow lisacohnwrites.com and follow her on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lisa Cohn writes. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together. 